So today we're going to talk about a guy called Abraham. Actually, if you turn to Genesis chapter 12, you're going to discover that he's not actually called Abraham, he's called Abram. And later he gets his name changed to Abraham, and that's a whole story in itself, and I want to say that so I could preach on that on that day. But um, so if I use the word Abram or I use the word Abraham today, just realize we're talking about the same guy. He starts out named Abram. Later on, God changes his name to Abraham, and we'll discuss that when we get to it. But we're going to meet this guy named Abram, and uh, he is a huge deal. And, and maybe you wonder, what makes this guy such a big deal? He's just one guy. Well, let me put it this way. In my opinion, with the exception of Jesus, there's not another human being who has ever walked on the earth who has been more impactful and had greater significance with his life on earth than Abram. He, he is, in my view, the second most influential person who ever lived. Let me kind of make that argument, okay? If you read your Bible cover to cover, you will find that Abraham is mentioned over 300 separate times in Scripture. In fact, you think we see, we see him only in the book of Genesis. We're going to get the next several chapters now that are just going to deal with Abraham, but uh, you think of him as being a part of the book of Genesis, but Abraham is mentioned 74 separate times in the New Testament. He is in 11 of the 27 New Testament books, including all four of the Gospels. You, you find Abraham all throughout the scripture. Jesus himself mentions Abraham in the Gospels seven different times. He's uh, the star of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, if you've never read Hebrews 11, it's what we refer to fondly as the hall of faith. Basically, it begins saying, you know, there, there was this guy and he was a person of faith and there was this lady and she was a person of faith and then there was Noah, he built the ark by faith and, you know, Moses followed God by faith and, and it just tells us about the story of faith, about the great people of history who are followers of God. And basically, you get a whole chapter of people of faith and it's fascinating to read the people that um, God decides to sort of uh, point out to us and say, listen, you can learn about the life of faith by watching these people. And, and so if you made it into the hall of faith, you're a big time Bible hero, right? And almost everybody in there gets a verse. Some people get two verses. But then, you know, you have a superstar like Moses. Moses gets five verses in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And Abraham gets 12 almost half the chapter, devoted to this guy Abraham and his walk of faith. 60% of the current world's population consider Abraham the father of their religious faith. Jews obviously consider Abraham the father of their faith. As this unfolds for us, we're going to find that Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he has 12 sons, and they're the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the nation of Israel comes from Abraham, and they all trace themselves back to Abraham. So the Jews consider Abraham the father of their faith. And Christianity is the completion of Judaism. And so as Christians, we consider Abraham the father of our faith. 
And Muslims and the entire Arab world, even the irreligious Arabs, consider Abraham to be the father of their faith because we're going to get to this too, but there's this weird little twist where um, he hasn't had a kid yet and he's supposed to be this great nation and his wife is barren and she's not having children. And so he sleeps with one of the slaves and she becomes impregnated and she gives birth. He's trying to handle things on his own, not trusting in God. And then there's this guy named Ishmael who was born and Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. So they trace their lineage back to Abraham. Abraham is a major figure in the world stage. Uh, Muslims consider a place called the Dome of the Rock as their holy place in the Holy Land. That's a, a mosque that is built on this hillside or on the top of a hill. That mosque has been built in the very same spot that the ancient temple of Israel was built. So the Jews consider Temple Mount, which the Muslims call the Dome of the Rock, they both consider it their holy place. And Muslims and Jews have been fighting over that piece of land for over 1,500 years. And a lot of what's going on in the Middle East today, which you think is all about money and oil and it's all about politics and it's all about terrorist beliefs, traces its way back to Abraham. Why is that spot so important? Why do Jews and Christians and Muslims think that Temple Mount spot is so key? Because as we're going to see here in the book of Genesis, it was that little hill that um, Abraham took his son up, Isaac, to by faith sacrifice him out of obedience to God. And so the Jews build their temple there and the Muslims build their mosque there. Simply put, other than Jesus himself, there is no person who has ever made as big a footprint on the earth as Abraham. So when we take a minute to stop and think about this man and the impact that he has had and to look at his life, it's a minute that is well spent. So let's open to Genesis chapter 12 and, and always want to make sure we're getting everything in context. So let's begin at the end of chapter 11 and let's read beginning in verse 27. Genesis eleven twenty-seven. 27. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, uh, or Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran." Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Isn't that weird? 
the, the first contact God apparently has with this guy, Abram, is to call him to leave everything that he's ever had behind. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you need to get this context clear in your head. Have you ever noticed, um, think about this. If you ask most people what nationality was Abraham, they would say he was an Israelite. The problem is Israel didn't exist until three generations after Abraham. He was not an Israelite. If you ask the average person what religion was Abraham, they would say he was a Jew. The problem is Judaism did not exist for many more generations after Abraham. He was not a Jew. It tells us where he lived and where his family line was from. They lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And if you do a little bit of research, you will find that is, that is basically modern-day Iraq or ancient Babylon. So, so Abraham, the father of our faith, is Babylonian. And as a Babylonian, he comes from a long line of people who worship idols. In fact, in that city, there is this famous um, 70 foot tall ziggurat tower that has the carvings all over it of all of the different gods that they worshiped in this city. It is a completely pagan city. Paganism was the only religion that existed in that city. And, the, and when you're a pagan, you, you worship multiple gods and your gods are found in nature. So you worship the sun, you worship the river, you worship plants and animals and all that kind of stuff. Now, of course, we know from Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that there are no gods in nature, right? But God stands outside of nature. So as I've said many times, and I will continue to remind you as we're teaching through the book of Genesis, Genesis is book one of a five-part series written by Moses for the purpose of defending monotheism, defending the, the worship of the one true God over and against paganism, which was the faith of the entire region in the ancient Near East. So um, it is highly unlikely that Abraham knew anything about the God of the Bible at the time of his calling. He's not a Jew. As far as we know, he knows nothing about the one true God. And he's done nothing to deserve God's attention or to earn God's favor. Absolutely nothing. We're not told a single thing about him up until what I just read to you in chapter 11. I mean, at least Noah, when we were looking at Noah, it said Noah was a righteous man who walked with God. But Abraham... Abraham is a pagan who apparently has never even heard of God. By all accounts, Abraham was the same as everybody else in his community, an idol-worshiping pagan. And that is what makes chapter 12, verse 1, so fascinating to me. We think of Abraham as somehow being deserving of God's favor, we think of Abraham as being this great man of faith, and that must be why God called him. But that's not who he was when we first meet him. He's a pagan. And in case you think that's too much speculation on my part, 
Go to Joshua. Take your Bibles and turn to Joshua. Just leave your finger there in Genesis chapter 2. Go to the book of Joshua. It's about, I don't know, eight more books to your right. Go to Joshua chapter 24. This is long after the time of Abraham. This is the time when uh, the Jewish people are going into the promised land, and Joshua is reviewing the history of Israel here, okay? Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So I'm not just making this up. Joshua says that Abram and Nahor and Terah and their ancestors beyond them served false gods. So that's our context when we see chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis, where out of nowhere, without any introduction, uh, without any uh, small talk or chit-chat, God just says to him, go forth from your country. He, he begins the relationship with a command. He says, leave. Get up and go. Leave your country Leave your relatives, leave your stuff, leave everything that is normal to you, leave everything that is your, your comfort zone, and get up and leave. It's a shocking statement. God chooses this man, this guy Abraham. He chooses him not because he's of the right religious persuasion, not because he's of the right bloodline, not because he does the right thing. So why on earth does God choose Abraham? Why does he call him? Why does he bless him? Here's what I think. I think he does it because he's God. And one of the things he does as God is choose people who don't deserve to be chosen. Amen? Isn't that good news? Right? God chooses people who don't deserve to be chosen. And we get to see that here. We go, man, this guy has no resume. And God just, for whatever reason, and I don't want to go any further into it than this, we don't know the reason. There doesn't seem to be any reason, nothing that we would think of as a reasonable purpose for calling Abram exists. God just calls him because God chooses people who don't deserve to be chosen. So out of the blue, for no apparent reason at all, God decides to reach out to Abraham as he is living in Haran. And God says, I can use this guy. I'm going to start something great with this guy. I don't want us to miss this. Because there's so many of us who feel like we're not qualified to be used by God. There's so many of us who just feel like that's for other people, more spiritual people, more godly people, more religious people, but, but God doesn't use people like me. We say, you don't know my background. My family story is a mess. 
My childhood was a complete disaster. I was so rebellious in my young years. I've done so many things to be ashamed of. There's no way God would ever use somebody like me. And so many of us think my life will never amount to much. I've already messed up so much. There's no reason to think that I really have much of a future. And if that's how you think of yourself, even a little bit, I want to say this to you. Congratulations, you are qualified to be Abraham. (laughs) It's true. Listen, if you've committed murder, if you have run from the law, if you have messed up every opportunity God has given you and thrown it all away, wasted all of your potential to come to the place where you are today, then congratulations, you are qualified to be Moses. If you have messed up sexually, if you've had terrible marriage, if you've raised children who went astray, if you've mis- uh, misused your power and abused people that you were supposed to be taking care of, then congratulations, you're qualified to be David. Guys, if your life is marked by brokenness and people think you'll never measure up to anything and if everything that society says is successful is the opposite of you, congratulations, you're qualified to be Sarah. If you've dishonored God, even after all he's done for you. I mean, you know God and still you dishonor him. If you've thrown away opportunities, you had to speak up for God and to honor him with your life and you've just protected yourself rather than put yourself in a bad situation. If you've tried to follow God a bunch of times, but you keep stumbling and falling flat on your face, congratulations, you're qualified to be Peter. Do you see how God works? Don't miss this. I love that about this story. This is where God's story of redemption starts, not with someone who's perfect, with someone who's broken. See, redemption only applies to the broken. So let's quit pretending we're not broken because we've seen for 11 chapters that man just keeps messing it up. And guys, it hasn't changed since those 11 chapters, has it? I mean, haven't we seen just a history full of wars and abuses and, and, and just families that are, that are all messed up? And haven't we seen in our own lifetimes that we continue to stumble and fall and do the wrong thing? I mean, redemption is what we need. And let's realize that the fact that we're broken doesn't um, disqualify us from being redeemed. It makes us eligible to be redeemed. That's good news. So why did God pick Abram? Probably because he had nothing to offer. God loves to shine his light through the lives of people who don't have any light shining of their own. Look at the way God addresses Abram in 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He just comes right out and calls him. And it couldn't have been an easy calling to receive. I mean, think about this calling. Get up from where you are, leave everything you know and everything that makes you comfortable and follow me. Now, I don't know if God appeared to him visually. 
I don't know if it was a voice that he heard audibly. I don't know if it was a voice in his head, a stirring in his heart, if you will. I don't know how God communicated to Abram, but I know this was a first for him. And here is this God who says, I want you to leave everything behind and I want you to get up and follow me. My question would be, really? To where? And he says, to the land which I will show you. In other words, none of your stinking business. Your calling is not to know where you're going. It is not to pick your destination. Your calling is to take God by the hand and follow him, Abram. That's what he says. I just want you to follow me. And he didn't get to see God's credentials. He had no guarantee as to what was going to happen. He didn't even get to know where he was going. God just invited Abram into a journey. He he invited Abram into a relationship. He invited Abram into a life of trust and obedience and faith. And he was going to have to leave everything behind that he had once defined who he was. Kind of reminds you of Peter, James, and John, and Andrew mending their nets by the boat, and this guy Jesus walks past and says, hey, you, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the scripture says they left their parents, their boats, their nets, their life behind, and began to follow Jesus. Kind of reminds you of a guy named Levi who was working and making big bucks as a tax collector, and Jesus goes by the tax office and says to Levi, hey, you, I want you to close up shop, lock the door, never go back, and follow me. And Levi becomes Matthew, the disciple of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like Saul on the road to Damascus, and bam, he gets hit with this light that knocks him down and blinds him, and he hears the voice of Jesus calling out to him and calling him to obey him and follow him and serve him from that point forward, and he becomes Paul, the great apostle. I mean, this calling for Abram is not so unusual. It is just like every single Christian who has ever heard the call of Christ in his heart, not really known what to do with it or how to understand it, but a movement of the Holy Spirit in your life when somebody is telling you about the love of Jesus and the plan that he has for your life, and for whatever reason, for the first time, it makes absolute sense, and you know that's what God is calling you to, and you don't know what lies ahead, and you don't know where you're going to have to go. You just know that where you've been has not been fulfilling you, and now there is God who is saying, I have a plan for you, but you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to give me your life. You're going to have to submit to me. You're going to have to follow me. Okay, where? Jesus says, well, all I'm going to tell you about that is you're going to have to bring a cross, because it's going to cost you everything. And those of us who have answered that call know what that stirring is and that somehow God, by his incredible, miraculous power and his love for us, at the moment of that calling also gives us the faith to believe so that we can actually act on that faith and get up and follow him. It's always a call to walk away from something. That's the only kind of call God gives. Abraham is invited to join God on a walk of tremendous faith. Have you ever heard a call like that in some specific area of your life where you just know that God is saying, um, hey, 
It's time to leave that behind. It's, it's time to leave that habit behind and follow me. Hey, it's, it's time to leave that unhealthy, sinful relationship behind and quit determining your value in the way that other people see you and begin to follow me and make that your identity. Hey, it's time to get up from where you are and leave it all behind. Whatever's been holding you back, whatever's been weighing you down, whatever has been defining your life up till now, God begins to stir in your heart and says, listen, you're never gonna be fulfilled as long as that's the focus of your life. You're gonna have to leave that behind and follow me. And if you'll do it, I'll give you abundant life. I wonder how many times you and I have missed an amazing opportunity to experience God because when that stirring, that calling, that, that voice of God spoke to us, what we were being called away from, that worthless thing was so precious to us that we wouldn't heed the call. I wonder what I may have missed in all these years, if I just said yes to every time the Lord called. God's calling to all of us is to close our eyes and hold his hand and follow him. He called Abram to leave his comfort zone and to follow him into a new future. And he didn't give him a lot of details, but he did tell him something about it. Look at verse two. He says, after this, leave everything behind and follow me. He says in verse two, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God commits himself to Abram's well-being. Look at those verses again. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, says God. I will take care of you. I will bless you. I will protect you. I will fight your battles for you. I will give you significance. I will give your life meaning. I will make your life a great life. I will make your legacy a great legacy. I have a plan for your life that is so much greater than anything you could plan for yourself. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. And I don't know what you think when you read this, but I had just finished reading chapter 11 when I read this. And it struck me that this is the very thing that got them in trouble in chapter 11, wasn't it? Remember, they were gonna build a tower in Babel and God was not happy. There was a serious price to be paid. And what was wrong with the fact that they were going to build this tower? It was because they were doing it to make their name great and to make themselves a great nation. And now God comes along and says, hey, maybe it's not so bad if somebody's name is great. I'm going to make your name great, Abram. I'm going to make you a great nation. So what is the difference between chapter 11 people wanting to have their name great and be a great nation and Abram having his name great and being a great nation? They were trying to make their name great in chapter 11. There is a difference between me 
trying to lift up my own name and God lifting up my name. What does the scripture say? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and you fill in the rest. He will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The scripture also teaches that he who exalts himself will be crushed under the mighty hand of God. Do you see, it's a matter of not getting it backwards. We need to trust God and God takes care of us. We need to trust God and God takes care of the fulfillment of our lives. We, t- we trust God and God takes care of the legacy that we leave. But if I'm trying to build a great name for myself, I will never be invested in building a great name for God. And we exist to bring God glory. And so God says to Abram, if you will trust me, without any questions answered, if you will follow me, if you will walk away from that which you have held so dear, which has defined who you are up until now, and if you will take my hand, close your eyes, and just go where I take you, if you will trust me like that, if you will have a walk of faith with me like that, I promise you, I'll take care of the rest. And that's always been the promise of God when he calls people. God says to Abram, don't worry about your greatness, I got this. He doesn't tell him how, he doesn't tell him where or when or in what way, he just calls Abram to a journey of faith and a relationship with him. Guys, listen, God has a great plan for your life. I promise you, God's plan for your life is better than anything you could ever dream up or manufacture on your own. God has a great plan for your life. And he is calling you to a life of significance. But you're going to have to let go of that which is insignificant. He's calling you to a life that is filled with blessings but you're gonna have to be willing to let go of that which you have called a blessing, which has not been a blessing at all. The only way that can happen is if you make it all about him and trust him to determine what greatness looks like and what your blessings will be. God has an incredible plan for your future. And I don't care if you're 150 years old. I don't care if you got 10 more minutes to live. God has a great plan for those 10 minutes. And here's the real point. It's not about those 10 minutes anyway. It's about all the time after that. God's plan for your life is so much better than you can imagine. God has a way to fix what is broken in your life and eventually what is broken in the whole world through your life. But it's not about you, it's all about him. And it all begins with God's calling a person who has nothing to really offer him into a walk of faith that will change not only that person's life, but the whole world. And if you accept that invitation, God will have your back. He will fight your battles. He will be your strength. He will be your protector. He will be your source of supply. Look again in uh, chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And the best part is the end of this invitation. Look at the last part of uh, verse three. And in you, all the families of the earth 
will be blessed. Now we're getting to it. See, I made this big thing about how this is the turning point of all of human history. This is the place where God stops the slide of the fall and begins the work of redemption. How is that going to happen through this guy, Abram? He says, not only am I going to bless you, not only am I going to make you a great nation, but I am going to bless the whole world through you. God has a plan that begins here. And by the way, The same is absolutely true for your life and mine. God has a plan that begins here. God has a plan that begins now. It's not just a plan that uh, is is gonna be played out in the future long after you're gone and forgotten. God has a plan that begins now to bless the world, and you're a part of that plan. See, there's something we need to understand about being called into a relationship with God. It doesn't end with us. We're just part of the story. Abram was called to walk with God so that God could bless him. But not just that, he was called so that God could bless the whole world through him. This is God's plan for redemption. Through this old pagan man, 75 years old, by the way, at this point of his calling, Through this old pagan man and his old barren wife, God is going to start a lineage of people. And that lineage of people is eventually going to include one called the Messiah. The one who alone will be able to reverse the curse. The one who alone will be able to purchase our redemption. The one who alone will be able to complete what God is starting here with Abraham. And there was no way Abraham could know that. There was no way he could assume it. In fact, he would have argued to his death that it could never happen that way. After all, he's old and his wife is barren. How could that ever happen? But this is God's plan to redeem the world. Don't forget, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting Life For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. It's always been about redemption. Why did God call Abram? Because he chose to use Abram not just as a recipient of his blessing, but as a conduit of his blessing. He chose to bless Abraham in such a way that those blessings would continue to flow And the whole world would ultimately be blessed because of it. Because only by pouring out grace on someone so unqualified as Abram could God possibly display his incredible love for all of mankind. And so really the question that we have to just stop short and honestly ask ourselves is this. Is God calling me to that kind of walk of faith? Or is this just something that's for Bible heroes? Is this just something that's for great men like Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and the others that I mentioned who were losers until God made them great? Is God calling you to walk a faith with him? It's because He has graciously chosen to love 
you. Even though you have done nothing to earn his favor. Even though you have never been able to keep his law. Even though you have never been able to stay on the straight and narrow for more than like 30 seconds. God calls you now where you are today. And he says, I can use you. I have a plan for you. And it's not just about you, but it's about the whole world. But don't forget this. It's not just about the whole world. It's about you. God has chosen you. God has called you. You are one of the incredibly fortunate people in the history of the world to be introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To feel that stirring in your heart where you know that it's God that is, is doing something in there to say, listen, I have a plan for you. He's talking to you. This is about you. I have a future for you. I don't care what's happened in the past. I've already taken care of that. What you've got to do is close your eyes, hold my hand, and walk with me. I swear to you, I'll make it right. That's the calling in your heart. That's what you have to respond to. It's because God intends to use you to bless the whole world. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Abram was blessed to be a blessing. And everyone that God has blessed has been blessed to be a blessing. There's another generation that's coming behind you that needs the influence of Jesus Christ that can only come to them through you. That there, there is a future. I don't know how long it is. We saw last couple weeks what the Bible defines as the last days is the time in which we live. And I don't know, I would not be surprised if before I finish speaking, <laughs> man, the roof blows off this place and the trumpet sounds and we are flying. It's possible. And if it's not today, it might be tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, it might be the next day. Or it might be a thousand years. I don't know. But here's what I know. God has a plan for all the time that's left. God has a heart for all the people who come behind us. And it comes down to us at this point because it's us to whom God is speaking now. It's us who are carrying the torch now. It's us who have the opportunity now to say, Lord, I'm gonna let go of all this stuff, all this junk that has been pulling me down, weighing me down and keeping me from experiencing all that you have in store for me. And I am gonna walk with you from this point on. Now we're gonna find out, Abram didn't do it perfectly. Man, Later in chapter 12, he shows us what an idiot he is. He doesn't do it perfectly. But you know what he does? He keeps walking with his dad. And in doing so, he becomes the father of faith. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Don't miss the opportunity. It's all to the glory of God. How will you respond to that calling? Let's stand together and pray.
Father, we thank you for this vivid picture that you've given us, a man who has no credentials, a man who has no argument for his own goodness, a man who is who's not from the right line of people, a man who doesn't behave in the right ways, a man who doesn't even worship you. You call him out of his darkness and you give him the faith to believe. And Father, as we see what you did through this man, we realize that you could do anything through us too. And so, Father, my prayer today is for every one of us here who feels just stirred in our hearts, moved a little bit to think, I wonder what God has that I might miss if I don't just get serious about leaving some stuff behind and walking with Him. Father, I pray that for each one of us who is feeling that way, that you would give us the courage and we would exercise our will to say, yes, God. Yes, I'll trust you. Yes, I'll believe you. Yes, I'll walk with you. Yes, I'll receive your blessings. And yes, I'll be a conduit of those blessings to others. Help us to say yes. Or we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.